thing about philosophy is that you have one, whether you've thought about it or identified it or not. Indeed. You know, there's some kind of idea that is driving the practices. Yes. No, pra no practices, you know, exist in a vacuum. They all have some kind of principle behind them. The Commonplace is a podcast for the new homeschooling mom delighted by the ideals and principles of a classical Charlotte Mason education, but who feels unsure of how to get started on the practical side of nourishing a soul on the good, the true, and the beautiful. I hope you find camaraderie here as we get our bearings in the world of old ideas and old books, of wisdom and virtue, and of the means of grace by which God works in this world through the Commonplaces, which includes your home. So, if you're like me, trying to offer your children an education unlike your own, and wondering if you can create an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life of such richness, I'm here to tell you, I think you can. I'm your host, Autumn Kern, and I'm pleased to welcome you to The Commonplace. Hello and welcome back to The Commonplace. My name is Autumn Kern and I am once again starting an episode with the ding, 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 we have an interview guest intro. And I am so pleased to let you all know that I am joined by Karen Glass. Karen, if you would say hello. Hello. Now, if you guys... Oh, thank you. If you guys have been around The Commonplace for more than a hot second, I have talked about Karen's books, many of them, In Vital Harmony, Consider This, and How Much I've Learned From Her. And I've I hope you've followed along with her as well, learning as I have. And so I wanted to bring her in as our special guest to close out the season now that we've we've made our way through the 20 principles. We've actually done it. We've really buckled down and tried to equip ourselves as mother teachers and learn this year. And it's not just 20 random principles. I know we know how some connect, but I really wanted to end the season with a big bang to talk about how they form a whole philosophy, how we can see them as a whole picture so that we can really wrap our hands around it and implement it in our homeschools and our everyday lives with our children and how we learn with them to move in God's world. And so that is why we have Karen Glass with us because she did write the book In Vital Harmony, which was absolutely foundational to my understanding of the principles together. And I am just so pleased to have you here. So for those who maybe haven't been reading all of your books the last couple of years like <laughs> me, if you would just introduce yourself, tell us a little about your family and how you found Charlotte Mason. All right, well, I, um, all of my children are grown now, all four graduates. I had to do have four children. Um, my husband and I lived overseas for 25 years and just recently located back to the United States. And so most of my homeschooling was done overseas. But before we went there, uh, when my children were still quite small, I found Charlotte Mason the way most people of my generation did by reading um, Susan Schaefer Macaulay's For the Children's Sake. Yep. And it's, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a um, primary source that's person. Yeah. So Susan Schaefer Macaulay's book, of course, had all these quotes from Charlotte Mason's volumes. And so as soon as I finished reading it, I went ahead and ordered those volumes. And you get this, at the time, you could only buy them as a set. Six oh. Fat, six fat. Yeah. Quotes, you know, really massive volumes. And that was about 1994. Okay. They had only been published in 1989. Um, I know now that Susan Schaefer Macaulay had probably only read volume one when she wrote for the children's sake. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, well, they, she probably had a copy, you know, an older vintage copy of it. The, the paperbacks hadn't been republished. Right. 
before she wrote her book. And so she wouldn't have read all five or six volumes, sorry. She wouldn't have read them all. And um, <clears throat> so then there was nobody at the time who had read all six volumes. Yeah. And, and there was nobody to even tell us that you could start like in volume six. Like that was yes. actually a really good starting place. That's my favorite one to start with and recommend to start with. <laughs> and, right. And, but there was no one to tell us that. Yeah. So we had to start with one and work our way before <laughs> we found that out. And I'll tell you. I'm, I'm, this is not really biographical, but it's just a fun tidbit. For years and years, when I was in, you know, back in the day, everything was email. We had these email loops, you know, you wrote to the group and everybody got a copy of your email like that. And that's how we did all of our discussions. Everything text-based, no face-to-face, no pictures or images yeah. at all on the internet back then. And so for years in our group, we talked about the 18 principles and we had an 18 principle study. Yeah. And until you get to volume six, you don't even remember 20. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Like wh- whoever got to book six first was like, guys, wait a second. <laughs> there are 20. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. Um, I still love that book. I know that it was sort of the gateway door for the generation ahead of mine, but I still feel like it's very popular. It is still something that lays before moms a beautiful vision of what education could be. Um, I know a lot of the Commonplace listeners, myself included, were public schooled kids. And so we just have a very public school idea of this is school. This is what it means. You check in, you check out. You regurgitate onto the test. That's it. And I know for me that's reading, it. yeah, that's, I mean, it's pretty much it. I thought that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like when, okay. So I started researching homeschooling when I was pregnant with my first, uh, something I knew we'd be doing, but I was like, well, now's the time to learn. And I thought it's just school at home, right? Like I'll just do what I liked doing at school just with my kids. And then the whole world opened up. I, I talk about like the wardrobe. I fell through the wardrobe and I can't unsee it. The world has been forever changed. And I love that. And so Um, Yes, I love that book. But I think now for a lot of moms, they see glimpses of um, pictures on Instagram or maybe Pinterest. And they're like, well, that looks lovely. These kids are outside having tea parties, reading great books. What is that? And then they they start to work their way in, maybe reading a couple articles, maybe learning something um, from AO, Ambleside Online, something like that. And then they make their way back to Mason. So moms are still making that trek. We're just coming at it from a slightly different different place these days. Well, there's so many gateways. Oh, there's so many. If you didn't read for the children's sake, you didn't navigate <laughs> early 90s there was no other game yeah that's just they really there really wasn't and so you know now it's it's the, it, i think i think it's the ad on the podcast actually that hmm. exploded the charlotte Mason community really from yes because the newer younger generation of homeschool moms listen to podcasts and there's been yep. there's, there's a number of podcasts you know where people are talking about charlotte mason and i think that that has has really magnified the number of people who have you know been introduced to that gateway sure it's a it's a privilege to be able to tune in to maybe even listening to a mason volume be read while you're cleaning the house like you don't have to actually sit with the book and study you can kind of be moving around and that does definitely help us in the early years with the little kids running around for sure um i can imagine receiving all six volumes as a bit of a shock they're above my head i can see where they are on the shelf it's it's pretty wide uh, wide um angle there but i know that for a lot of moms when they get the books whether they get them all at once or just a couple philosophy doesn't really sound like something moms do like maybe they can get their bits and pieces from just home education because they know that one's for the kids under nine and then kind of run back to instagram and check and compare and philosophy is something academics and libraries do like old guys who can't speak to normal people do philosophy but actually we know that in the historical sense philosophy is about having a love of wisdom and practically applying it if you weren't living it out you weren't moving towards virtue and so i'm really passionate that moms should be equipped with philosophy and pedagogy they should know why they teach the way they 
do. And of course, that's why we've been doing this season. But I would love to hear from you as someone who's dedicated so much of your life to both teaching this way and teaching um, people like me and others through your writing. Why is it important that a homeschooling mom, even with little kids running about, actually takes time to learn her educational philosophy? The thing about philosophy is that you have one, whether you've thought about it or identified it or not. Indeed. You know, there's some kind of idea that is driving the practices. Yes. No no practices, you know, exist in a vacuum. They all have some kind of principle behind them. Mm -hmm. And all of the things that happened, you know, in our traditional institutional school classrooms, there was a philosophy behind that. Yes. And if you just replicate that stuff, because that's what you think school is supposed to look like, you know, you may be acting according to a philosophy that you don't even agree with, but there's still a philosophy behind all the practices that we do. There's nothing that's just completely meaningless or random, even though sometimes it seems that way. There's always a reason, there's there's a philosophy, there's an idea behind it. And so if you're aware of that, you know, if you become acquainted with the ideas and if you, you know, consciously choose the educational ideas that are going to drive your practices it makes the practices easier mm. and it makes adapting easier when you when you really understand the philosophy or the principles that are driving your education and then you hit the inevitable you know road bump well this isn't working or my child is you know having this problem you know you can adapt and adjust but according to what you know you know and believe about the way that education is supposed to be and so it it just makes the whole process kind of run, you know, along certain rails, you know, that yes. it's not just you're not just going to, you know, fall off or, or get, you know, run down some kind of track following some ideas that don't really line up with what you, you know, what you know and believe about education. So I think it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be, you know, in big words that you can't understand. You know, philosophy is relatively it's relevant to everybody. Yes. And it's, it's relatively simple when you, you know, when you break it down into just, you know, a few basic ideas. Mm, Yes. And I think that's what so many of us like about Mason is what a practical philosopher she was. When you read her writing, you're like, oh, now you're exactly telling me how you would have it trained. You're running me through an example of how this would look treating my, my child like a full person, understanding this natural law written into God's world this is what it would look like as opposed to just kind of hanging out up in the high ideals, which can happen, of course. But I think that's, I know that's one thing I've loved about her, studying the larger classical tradition and just getting to her and be like, yes, thank you for for making this so practical. It, I think that it's Charlotte Mason's special genius that yes. she was able to keep the principles that she knew very, very clearly in mind and then create practical ways of doing things mm that, you know, we're in line with those principles. I think that that's part of her special, you know, genius and her real contribution. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. And as you even mentioned, we have so many more resources available to us with such greater ease for my generation as we look that you, we talk about this a lot, that you can find um, Charlotte Mason inspired curricula options that when you dig into it, you're like, actually the philosophy here doesn't quite match. And then you can find something that doesn't talk about Charlotte Mason at all that you're like, well, this, 
this is actually a great resource to use. They, the principles are here. They've stumbled upon them from another from another direction because ultimately this is God's truth about his world. And so um, I think that's been really freeing to realize that when that philosophy is in place, it's both a guiding light and an anchor. You can swipe through Instagram all day and see a bunch of new options pop up, but you know what is charting your course, like you said. And it it actually gives a mom, I think, a lot of peace um, as we have so many things thrown at us all the time now in the homeschooling world. Um, but pivoting over to your book, In Vital Harmony, you actually kind of introduce Mason's principles by picking two as your primary ones that you, I think they almost act like hinge principles. They kind of connect into the other ones. And I would love if you would explain to us what those two <laughs> principles are and then how they, how they form the foundation of right. this philosophy. I, I didn't pick them. Well, that's I true. Just, <laughs> I didn't pick them. They just are that way. Yes. Um, a few years ago, I became very, very just convinced and very acutely conscious of how vital the principles were. Um, partly because there was just like so many new voices coming into the Charlotte Mason community and they were saying things and and you could see the sort of a, so, a certain amount of confusion because sometimes Charlotte Mason will say things that appear contradictory on the surface because she's sometimes talking about one thing and another thing and you can't, you know, they're not all the same. And people were getting confused or, or really feeling like if you didn't kind of do everything perfectly, like it was like a house of cards that was all yes. apart. And so I just became acutely aware of how important and critical the principles really were to, to what was going on. And I just recently actually found myself saying as early as 2014, that the most important principles were children are born persons in education, the science of relations. And I couldn't, so I can't tell you now exactly when I realized mm -hmm. that, but I found an article that I wrote in 2014 and I said that then, I thought, oh, that, that's two years earlier than I can remember saying <laughs> it myself. But so I've been thinking this way for a really long time. Like I knew children are born persons with the most important principle and that education is the science of relations. Those are the two most important principles, mm -hmm. even though they are one and two on the list, those right. are the two that are just kind of the ones that if you get these two, or if you have these two, you're going to, you know, you're not going to go far off course. Like mm -hmm. I, these are the two most important principles. Um, I couldn't say about the rest of them at the time, but I, <laughs> I got the idea when I realized like how critical the principles were, I thought, well, I would like to go ahead and present these principles. I had two thoughts in mind. I would like to know, um, I would like to create a graphic, a picture, I, I, because that is one of the things that, you know, everybody today wants to see, mm -hmm. like see something. And so I, I thought I'd like to create a graphic that shows how all the principles relate to each other. So I started making these pictures. I'm not really an artist, I'm not an artist. <laughs> and, but I was trying, as I started trying to create, you know, even these rough drawings, which would be better if the world never sees these. <laughs> I didn't, I realized I didn't, wasn't 100% sure myself exactly what the relationships were between all of the principles. So I really started diving into that, like trying to figure out exactly, like I said, I knew this one's the most important. This is, this is the other most important. These two really are the, like the big ones, mm -hmm. but I wasn't 100% sure how everything else fit into that picture. And as I really dug into it, I came to understand that all of the principles are either adjuncts of those two or consequences, like they grow out of those two. Right. And, and that's it. Those are the those are the two central principles that are really kind of drive everything. So when you look at Charlotte Mason's specific practices, you will always see that they are 
treating children as, you know, persons, and they are relationship building practices. Mm -hmm. They will always be, you know, they're always going to be operating to help children build relationships with knowledge one way or another. All of her practices are like that. And I actually found, and it's in in Vital Harmony, I didn't look the quote up before this, but I actually found after you know, realizing that those were the two most important principles that Charlotte Mason herself actually says that like there's a little paragraph where she says like these the, you know these two not in those exact words but she's like right. these two principles are the ones that you know lie at the heart of what we're doing our work that we're doing in the in the PNEU and right. so those two principles the children are born persons are then kind of explained by some of the other principles that follow after. Mm-hmm. It goes into more detail about what it means to be a person, you know, um, what it is that education can do in the life of a person, mm-hmm. you know, can help to build their character, cannot save their soul, but it can help to build their <laughs> that character. That second principle really gets people, gets people going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's the one. It's the one. <laughs> I found sentence, unfortunately, after I wrote in Vital Harmony, I was, Immediately after reading, writing in Vital Harmony, I was reading through volume one again, and I found a sentence in there. It's maybe a sentence, maybe even two sentences. But together, those two sentences should be the second principle because they explain it more fully. Okay. Let me see if I have it. Do you remember what they are? I'm trying to see. I, I, have, I have these little notes on my computer. Yes. This is from volume one, but I don't have the page number right handy, but I will read you the quote because it says the child is born doubtless with the tendencies which should shape his future. But every tendency has its branch roads, its good or evil outcome. And to put the child on the right track for the fulfillment of the possibilities inherent in him is the vocation of the parent. Hmm. So you see, there it is. It's very clear. You see the similar words, the child is born, there's good and evil, the tendencies, right. but it makes it clear that the whole point of that principle is just to underscore the parent's responsibility right. in, in um, building character you mm-hmm. know, into their children. So I thought those two, those sentences should be the second principle. That would have been so much clearer. So many Christians would not run for a bit before they came circling back around. Right. <laughs> yes. Right, right. I know. But anyway, but even things like the authority and docility principle mm-hmm. or the, you know, those principles are based on explaining and understanding what it means to be a person and what kind mm-hmm. of a world that we live in. So, and then education is the science of relations. It's the same, you know, the principles, um, you know, other principles, like all of the, all of the practical principles or the edu- atmosphere, discipline and life, you know, those principles all are based on, you know, how relationships are formed. Right, relationships, yeah. And that's just, and so the whole thing, and when I, when I was really digging in, still at the beginning, trying to understand relationships, for example, I was sure that the 20th principle that says, you know, we allow no separation to grow up mm-hmm. between trade and secular, um, it had to be, I was sure that it had to be like one of the most important principles because yeah. it mentioned the Holy Spirit. And I just could not, like I said, I was making all these pictures and diagrams and was trying to visualize these relationships until I realized that I was actually violating the principle. Hmm, How so? My own head. Because the principle says, 
We allow no separation to go up, grow up between the intellectual and spiritual life of children. And you and were I'm trying thinking, to bump the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That because it mentioned yep. the Holy Spirit, this one must be more spiritual than the rest. Yep. And, it, and as, soon as, I, as soon as I put that aside and said, no, they're all equally spiritual, mm-hmm. intellectual, they're all the same. Then it was really obvious to me that that was an adjunct principle to education is the science of relations. Because it literally says, allow no separation. So yeah. It's the opposite of relations. Yep. You don't want to take things, don't want to make divisions. Right. You want, you want to keep things, you know, related and tied together. Mm-hmm. And so it's just an adjunct thought, an application of education of the science of relations. That's so good. So when you were drawing these pictures, did you finally land on one that you can maybe walk us through briefly to show how this continues to grow out? No, I went and got a, a real artist. Oh, did you? So you didn't actually come up with what I know you're holding well, in your book I mean, right now. I explained what it had to look right. Like. So, so the two main principles are children are born persons and education is the science of relations. And they, I write them, this, I did, this is my concept that they mm-hmm. are like a Venn diagram and they overlap. Mm-hmm. And in that overlapping idea, you get the idea of what it means to be, to form a relationship with what it means to be a person. Yep. So a person has to understand what it means to be a person. And that idea is so critical in Charlotte Mason's philosophy. She wrote the entire book ourselves is for that purpose, Mm -hmm. to help children understand what it means to be a person, you know, to rule the kingdom of man's soul, which is yourself. Yep. And so... She and she uses the um, the little Socrates shorthand, know thyself, mm-hmm. um, a couple of times, and so that's kind of what goes in there. The idea of know thyself and all the principles about will and reason, which are you know understanding yourself and yep. how it works, fit into that little diagram. And then, okay, so those look like a flower on the diagram. They do. And then, because I said these are adjunct principles, they all have some leaves, and so. Principles two and three and four and two and three and four, and I guess eight, maybe. Yeah, eight, I think, are what I call adjunct principles Mm -hmm. to the idea that children are born persons. So principle two, you know, is for the children are born persons who have a character that has to be nurtured. So I, in my diagram, I don't use Charlotte Mason's words for all of them. (laughs) All of what I've written right. here, simply because they're too um, they're too long mm-hmm. to fit on here in that form. But um, and I, the principle three for me, which is the one about authority and docility, essentially means that we live in a, a, a morally ordered universe, mm-hmm. which places us in a position where we have obligations and duties, yep. you know, to ourselves, to other people, to the world that we live in, obviously to God. And so that is, you know, part of what it means to be a person and to live and to have those obligations and mm-hmm. what, knowing what those duties are. And then the one principle where Charlotte Mason says, um, we're limited. Mm, number four. <laughs> right, number four by the due respect that's given to persons, to me, really tends to be about how we motivate them. Yes, that um, one really challenged me as a mother. I did not because, realize. You know, yeah. Because, yeah, because we're in a position right. of authority mm-hmm. over our children, 
but it's not, um, it, it, we're not allowed to be tyrants nope. or, you know, despots nope. <laughs> in, the way that, in the way that we rule. And so we're limited and we have to motivate them and, and rule over them with due respect. And so that's, without going into every single one, that's right. how the adjunct principles work. And then for me, all of the practical principles are the roots of the plant because they kind of tap into what I think of is, is of the transcendental ideas of truth, beauty, and goodness. Mm -hmm. And this is how, through these practical methods, which are, um, on the one side, we have atmosphere, just in the living life mm -hmm. as the instruments that we can use for education. And then principles, we think, 13, 14, and 15 are the ones that were added uh, later. They are okay. just completely practical. The practice of narration and reading you know, books and offering children a wide, generous curriculum, those kind of practical. It basically, it boils down to narrating good books. Right. Is, 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 um, is those practical principles, 13 through 15. And those are kind of like, like the roots that dig in, mm -hmm. you know, and, and anchor everything in place. And through that, we can flow all of these great ideas that kind of keep the, the two main principles glowing and beautiful and blooming. Yeah, because I drew it in the plant picture like that. Right, it's wonderful. I highly recommend. So this this drawing is in in vital harmony. So it's near the back of the book. You can actually see this. So if you have the book, check it back there. If you don't, I will have linked it in the episode notes. It is such a helpful um, helpful tool. Definitely something that should be in the library. I know that I've actually now started buying volume six for moms who are having children. Like even if they're not talking about homeschooling, <laughs> because I did feel like working through particularly the first set of principles that you um, listed for as the adjuncts for children are born persons really helped me understand how I was mothering, what kind of heart motivations I was cultivating, what that did for their character, what I was ultimately like winning them with is what I was winning them towards. Was it God? Was it his world? Was it because children obey their parents and the Lord, Ephesians 6? Like all of these things I, I was able to connect and it kind of, again, exploded my home life, my home understanding beyond just our homeschooling time because all mothers are educators. <laughs> like we're always teaching our children. Exactly. And that's why, yeah. to go back to what you were asking at the beginning, that's why knowing a few basic principles right. makes such a difference in mm -hmm. practice. Absolutely. Because then you're following the principles that are really foundationally true and good and beautiful and not, you know, principles of education or, or, or child rearing that are essentially treating your children like lab rats. Or yes. <laughs> exactly computers to program or something like that yes yes definitely with our tech language today it often sounds like we're programming them um i find that yes they've been helpful pegs that i can grab onto so even when i may be frustrated as a mom or i don't know what to do i know that i don't have the right under god's authority to manipulate my child to get what i want like it does kind of just help put that fence around me where i don't even know what to do right now but i know i just need to wait and pray and just like don't let that come out of my mouth because it's not gonna help um and so i've just found those principles to be so helpful and seeing them as a whole picture really adds strength and I think um, a certain level both of excitement and also confidence for a mom as she's going into this. And so one thing that I wanted to ask you is, um, I don't know if this was happening when you started homeschooling your kids, but for us, a lot of the chatter in the homeschooling world is that whatever you want is a good pick for your kids. Like if it just fits with your schedule or you like the aesthetics or it fits with whatever you are kind of feeling on a Tuesday, just homeschool that way. And I know that we actually want educational truths and philosophy that are based on God's design for the world, the way he's ordered things, the, what, what he has called true, good and beautiful. And so when we think about like Mason and these principles, where she got them from, she was not a renegade all alone on an island. Mm -hmm. Like from where was she pulling and how can that give us confidence as we try to grow in this philosophy? 
Well, she really, um, Charlotte Mason, I, I for years have had kind of a, a, a personal project just out of interest to read what Charlotte Mason read. Mm. So I, I've read a number of books that I know that she read, um, and but I'll never catch up. Yeah. <laughs> she, she read, she just read so widely. Yes. And in her volumes, throughout her volumes, you know, she references um, lots and lots of, I'm not going to call them contemporaries, but people who were just like sort of recent mm -hmm. influential educators. So like she'll mention Rousseau and Spencer mm -hmm. and Froebel and, and she'll, she, you know, she, she, so she's completely aware of what they were teaching. You will usually find when she mentions them that she's differentiating what she's saying from those. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, she'll say, oh, you know, we align at this point, but but she's not really um, teaching their philosophy. Right. You know, she's suggesting, I mean, you will find Charlotte Mason saying things like, I don't know how many volumes you've actually read yourself, but you'll find her saying things like, it's time we reverted to the teaching of Socrates. Mm -hmm or the Greeks had a more adequate view of education mm -hmm. than we do. You know, she's looking back through history. Right. Um, when she, when there was, um, in volume six in particular, there was a whole movement around 1910 or so called the liberal education for all movement, where yes. they were actively trying to take and give a liberal education to lower class children mm -hmm. in, in the British society. And she references that as being the vision, a vision that Comenius had in the, you know, in, in the Renaissance era. Yeah. Um, another thing that she looks back to are the medieval educators. You know, she always went back, she always references in relation to education and to science of relations, that particular painting you know, that she, that she called the great recognition, right. that all it's on the Spanish chapel in Florence mm -hmm. that shows the Holy spirit giving knowledge and, you know, it trickles down, you know, to the apostles and disciples, but also all the seven liberal arts are there and yeah. the several, the, you know, and not just the liberal arts as the liberal arts, but on that depicted on the painting are even people like, um, Zoroaster and, hmm. oh, Okay, what's the geometry guy? Euclid. Euclid, yes. Yeah. You know, they're pictured too. You know, and that to her was a great conception that all knowledge comes from God, regardless right. of where it comes from. And yes. so with that idea in mind, you know, she was free to search for truth wherever she found it. And she really did feel that those some of those earlier educators had hit on a few key points. It's very interesting to me if you read um a lot of the parents review articles, especially in the earlier first few years after they started that publication, you will find not, not always Charlotte Mason, but many of the other people who were writing and contributing to that referencing Greeks, like mm. looking back to the ancient Greeks. So they apparently it was just something that was particularly interesting to them. Yeah, now I remember, um, so I came into Mason through the larger classical tradition. I kind of went through that wardrobe first. And mm -hmm. when I first uh, found her talking about the marks of authenticity, when moving back through and looking for like truth where you could find it repeated throughout time, I'm like, oh, she's fitting in. I see, I see what's going on here. And so it was very surprising to me to find out that people thought that Mason wasn't classical until I actually stumbled in to consider this. And I was like, finally, someone who gets it. I knew it in my gut, but she's proved it on paper. Like clearly this woman was gaining and garnering the wisdom that came before her and trying to implement it in a way that actually treated all children as if they deserve this sort of education. 
Right. Mm -hmm. And so that, yeah, that's probably the one biggest departure, I would say, from Charlotte Mason and what we think of as a classical tradition, because in that tradition, education was never universal. Right. It just, no. it was always for a few perfect yes. people. Her humility mm -hmm. is beautiful. It's yes, it one is. of the things I love that <laughs> opened the door for so many. Absolutely. Okay. Right. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, I love hearing about that. And I love, <laughs> I just love when someone agrees with me that Mason is classical. So that's always yeah, great. Me too. <laughs> yeah. It's just my thing. It's really become my thing over here. But so, so when I, I published Consider This in 2014, this is the first book that I actually, that I did write mm -hmm. and publish. And so we're coming up on 10 years. Yeah. And very shortly after I published it, I made a prediction that within 20 years, Charlotte Mason would be just generally, would be generally acknowledged and accepted that she belonged in the classical tradition. So I think you're right. We're halfway, we're halfway there. Yeah. We're halfway there. A narration is coming into classical schools. There are bits and pieces that are definitely moving in. People are starting right. to, to see the greatness <laughs> for sure. Right. And it's not that we have to replicate, you know, no. everything that she, exactly the way that she right. did it because it's not, you know, that was her implementation in a particular time, in a particular mm -hmm. place. There are many things that we have to think about today that mm -hmm. Charlotte Mason didn't have to think about. Um, just for example, when we think about narration and how narration leads into, you know, writing and composition, she did not have to prepare anyone for college. That mm -hmm. just wasn't a thing that she had to do. The PNEU had courses like, the, like an educational plan all the way up through form five and six, which would have been pre-university, except that if you were a boy and you were going to university, you wouldn't have been doing that kind of homeschool mm, okay. programs. You would have had a tutor or you'd have been in a regular school okay. for university. So the only students who might have been doing those higher forms would have been girls and they were I didn't know that. Okay. They, they weren't going to university. It's very difficult to find co uh, copies or examples of those higher forms and i really think they just didn't have very many pupils at that level very interesting the, girl, the girls weren't going to college so quite often they right. came out of the schoolroom at 17 right. or 18 at the most and they stopped for you know formal education you know with the governess that sort of thing right i actually really love that you said it's not going to be a perfect copy and paste from Mason, even what we read, even if you're a very good student of the Parents Review articles to today, because we are just in a different time and place. I think there can be pressure uh, for moms. I know I, he I hear it from other moms to almost have this purist mentality, like I have to stick very close to this book. And what again, what I think is so wonderful is if you actually have your philosophy in place, you can then see how you would apply this. It's actually the act of prudence, really, right? Like it's you have eternal principles that you can apply to ever changing situations. And I, I know that gives me a lot of um, a lot of hope and also a lot of like, gumption to try because you can't just take you can't we're not in victorian england we can't pretend that it's the 1890s or the 1910s and that we live in this time where we're luddites or something we do live in this time and place and that was you know intended for our good by god and so how can we then still pursue these things with our children but i just think that's hopefully encouraging for the mom listening who feels very overwhelmed trying to copy and paste something as opposed to just here's what mason's actually saying this is the life-giving principle let it bring life into your home let it spill out you know in all of your relationships Exactly. And so I think, you know, Charlotte Mason was very forward thinking, very mm. forward looking. Um, they did have extremely early film versions, oh. you know, that, and, and she wasn't hugely in favor of them. But, <laughs> but I mean, if you think about, you know, it was something new, she was not young. And so she, you know, it hadn't yet kind of bloomed into the, what it is today. 
-hmm. And storytelling, if you think about the in the past, storytelling was done orally. Yes. You know, it was done orally. And, and, and there was an era of thousands upon thousands of years, thousands, hundreds of years, where people didn't have books. Right. They, like, that was impossible to have right. books because they were written by hand and incredibly expensive. So, you know, poetry and songs and that sort of thing, you know, people have that kind of, a, of an oral tradition. And and movies and film are, are kind of storytelling, you know, yeah. that, that, are, that happen apart from, you know, the printed word. And sometimes they have interesting things to say too. Yeah. So. Karen, are you picking on my generation's screen time rules? Our obsession <laughs> with screen time? <laughs> That's a big thing in the Charlotte Mason world, no screen time ever. <laughs> No, 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 no. That's, here's the thing. I mean, I, I do think screen time probably, and I say this, I mean, as adults, we, we need to probably exercise some self-control in that area. 100%. And, and model that for the, for our children because it's so easy yeah. to get sucked into excess screen time. But I was a young adult. Um, I was a new mom. I think, I think, I think I had two preschoolers when we got our first computer and got ourselves connected online. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sorry about that. Yeah. I think that it it enriches our lives in ways that I wouldn't want to forgo right. in spite in spite of the um, you know the difficulties. I have dear friends today that I would people I would never ever have met Same. in the ordinary course of living my life if it weren't for the internet. So I would not have been able to learn from you without the internet. <laughs> so that's also very true. No, I think that will actually be very encouraging. Again, for the um, like good mom standards we can put on ourselves, again, working outside of actual philosophy and instead trying to force it into something that it's it's not. I think that's actually a wonderful I think tip. One thing I really do want to encourage young homeschool and moms to do is to read Charlotte Mason. Yes. <laughs> Don't take everything at second hand. Mm -hmm. Possibly can dig in and read her words. You do not have to feel obligated to read all six volumes, mm -hmm. though, those six fat books. You don't have to read them all. Mm -hmm. She's incredibly repetitive. Yeah. And her own contemporaries thought she was wordy. So, <laughs> it's, it's, it, she's dense. So I ran into, um, I was reading something that I read, something I found in the digital archives from the Charlotte Mason digital archives. And I said, when, in that particular pamphlet, I think they call him an, inspe an inspector, something like that, in okay. England. He was encouraged. He oversaw 200 schools that were using the PNEU curriculum in Gloucestershire. And obviously, that many schools and the teachers in them were not Charlotte Mason trained teachers. Like, mm -hmm. her college was never that big, like, right. to be able to supply teachers for that many schools. So those people were getting the programs, Charlotte Mason written, you know, curriculum, but they didn't, um, they weren't trained by her. Mm -hmm. And so all they had were her volumes. And he was recommending that every school have a copy of either volume one, home education, or volume three, school education, which would have been you know, particularly applicable to what their circumstances mm -hmm. were. And to read it every year. Yeah. Like always, always be reading from it. And I thought if he thought that that was enough for you know, a school teacher who had the PNEU curriculum to have one volume and to read just the one, that that is probably enough for most people. Yeah. Choose your volume carefully. And I now recommend, because it is difficult to reach out and that you read your one volume at least twice, and it better would be three times before you try to read any others. Hmm. Just really get to know your one volume. Okay. 
So it could be volume one, it could be volume six. I, I personally think those are the two best starting points because those two volumes were written without assuming you were familiar with anything. Mm -hmm. Whereas two, three, and five were kind of a collection of writings that had appeared in the Parents Review mm -hmm. magazine. And so sometimes there's a kind of assumption that you know what's going on, yeah. you know, what the general, you know, what the general ideas are mm -hmm. as a group and that sort of thing. So, but volume one and volume six don't make that assumption. They were written as if you didn't know anything. And so they, you know, explain it from the beginning. Yeah, that is incredibly encouraging. Pick a volume, take your program and keep reading your volume. I do think it's a good yeah. habit to just always be slowly plotting through one. And something that I've learned even just now having our first formal year going is things that I've read before it, reading them again in the context of actually schooling. I'm like, oh, this takes a different meaning. It's a different mm -hmm. meaning. I didn't see it this way before the first time I read it. And that's been that's been really fun. I'm excited to keep reading them for the next, Lord willing, 18 years and see what, what we're learning when my youngest is about to graduate. Um, Karen, this has been wonderful. So everyone, I'm actually going to take Karen over to Patreon, as you know, I like to do for one final question. Um, please come and join the Mother Teachers. We have about 200 women in there learning together, and we would love to have you. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash the commonplace. But before we leave here, Karen, please tell us where we can find you on the internet and also what work you would like us to know about, whether recent or old. Okay, so my website is karenglass.net. Um, and from there, there are links to pretty much like most of the things that I've done, like to all of my books and a couple of other resources. I keep meaning to put up a page and link to all the different podcasts that I've been on. So, <laughs> you know, just because it's, I've been doing it, you know, for a few years now. And so it, they're not going to ever all be in one place if I don't make that place. Right. And I'm not going to have a podcast on my own. So um, there's a blog there. So there's quite a lot now after several years. There's quite a lot of resources on my blog. Just yes. interesting tidbits and bits and pieces of things that I've studied and learned and that I like to share there. But I'm a very indifferent blogger. This is how I know I can't be a podcast. <laughs> when I have something to say, I say it. Pop in, pop out. <laughs> Otherwise, right, it might get a little dusty. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so carrylast.net, every, everything is pretty much there. I, I am on Instagram and I have a Facebook author page, but I don't actually post there very often. Okay. Usually only if I've written something on my blog and then I post there to say, hey, I, I put something there. Perfect. Okay. Well, I will make sure to link that in the episode notes as well as um, a couple of my favorite books, just so it's easier for people to find them right from the podcast app. Uh, thank you, Karen, so much for joining us. This is such a treat, such a perfect way to end season two. Um, yeah. I am so grateful for your time. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm glad to be here.